up, mamas? It's Tanika Ray. I was a television host for 20 years before my entire life blew up when I had a baby. Shifting gears from red carpets to a gig called Mom required a whole new game plan. The carefree, globe-trotting boss babe me was suddenly in search of a mommy tribe to help me navigate the inevitable fumbles and fails of raising a kid. Mama Stay with Tanika Ray is a sanctuary for the mommy collective, where we amplify our self-love and self-care, trade tips on raising conscious kids, help each other fine-tune our boundaries, and celebrate the highs while forgiving ourselves for the lows in the wild, 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 wild world of mommying AF. Welcome to Mama Stay. Hey, ladies. Hey, dads. Hey, moms. We have gotten to the point where we are at an entire year, you guys. This is the 52nd episode. I cannot believe that I've gotten here, but I am absolutely so grateful that I made it. I truly am one of those people that sometimes my commitment wanes. I'm a little bit like squirrel over there. (laughs) And trust me, I've been working on that for a really long time. I even went to the lengths when I was in my early 30s. I went to the lengths of joining a marathon club. (laughs) You're like, what is that? A marathon group that trains together for about five months for the marathon. So I, for some reason, was at a place of despair. You know, we all go through these journeys and I'm a particular person who's very introspective. I am willing to put myself to the test to see where my BS lies, okay? Because we've all got it. I'm one of those people that really looks in the mirror and I'm like, all right, I've been operating and, and thriving from this place, but how is this working in a 360 picture? Do I have love? Am I content? Am I successful um, monetarily? Am I able to pay my bills? Like I look at myself really in the eyes. I really check myself out and assess where I need to make improvements. And at this particular time, I just called off a wedding. I know I just threw that at you like it was just easy. But yes, I've been engaged a couple of times. This was my first engagement. And what I knew to be true was as soon as that ring was on my finger, as happy as everybody else was around me, suddenly I was like, oh, shit, this is real. And from that place of really letting it sink in, I heard the song from one of my favorite groups at the time, Outcast. Forever, ever, ever, ever. (laughs) That actually started to haunt me. Suddenly I was like, do I know what I think I know? Do I really want to be with this person for the rest of my life. Oh my gosh. And ultimately I kept hearing no. I kept hearing no. We were even in couples therapy and there was just something that kept telling me no. No matter how much I cared about this person, no matter how much we enjoyed each other's company, and no matter how much I knew that he was about to blow up, something wasn't right. And when I say blow up, I mean his career was literally, I went from him being a wannabe to when we started dating, he started to glow up. He started to be employed and making a lot of money, but he just wasn't my person. So I made that really hard decision. I actually planned that wedding all the way until two and a half months before. I'm talking The church was reserved. The reception spot was reserved. My best friends had already bought their dresses. I took it all the way there, you guys. But when it comes down to your own well-being, your own sense of self, your own self-care, I had to listen to just me. And I spent a lot of time alone and I made a really hard choice to say no and return the ring to him. And it sent me spiraling a little bit like, oh, God, why can't I get this right? 
as far as we knew, everybody was trying to get married. We were, I just turned 30. Everybody was getting married. You had to get married by 30. Remember that? It was like this bar that we all felt the pressure of get married by 30. Your 20s are for fun, but 30, get married. And I had a ring on my finger. It was gorgeous pear shape. I was proposed to in France, in Paris, at the top of Notre Dame. And uh, something just still wasn't right. So after this, I jumped into reading this book, Celestine Prophecy. That book gave me a lot of peace because I think sometimes when we have that nagging inside of us that's saying no, when everything else externally is saying yes, that conflict is hard to resolve. And I really wanted to have peace. But ultimately with that, on the journey came self-doubt. What's wrong with me? This guy wants me to be his wife. This man wants to spoil me. But there were other things that I don't need to go into that just didn't work for me. But I beat myself up. Is it me? Do I have a problem with commitment? I don't commit to anything. I'm I'm such a free spirit. Is it my fault that I just, is it the commitment part of it? that I just can't seem to hold on to, that that makes me feel a little claustrophobic, that makes me feel trapped. And I got to tell you, the visual I had of myself during that time was of a little girl. And mind you, my inner child is always alive and well. Everything that I do is to keep her safe, secure, and to make sure that we, me, Tanika, a grown-ass woman, and my inner child are thriving together. So. I wanted to put myself to the test. Is it me? Is it my fear of commitment? So that's why I signed up for this marathon to run 26.2 miles to prove to myself I can commit. And I got to tell you, there's, it's wonderful when we put ourselves to the test and we expand ourselves to experiences we normally wouldn't. I made the best friends I would have ever made. I am still friends with seven of these women that I ran the marathon with that I would have never met under any other circumstance. These women are part of my foundation. So thank you to my girls, um, the German Silva crew that ran the marathon back in, God, I don't even know what year it was. We ran the LA AIDS marathon that went down in Honolulu, Hawaii. We all raised money for AIDS Project LA. After I was done, I was like, it's not me. I can commit if I want to. I can commit. And that's when it became very clear to me that I will commit when it's really, really important. It was really important that I woke up at 6 a.m. and joined this marathon training group at 6.45 every morning, every Saturday morning for five months. It was really important to me that I raise money for a cause that I really believed in. My heart is always full and I'm always in whatever way I can to give back to all the marginalized communities. So that was a big deal. And I raised $5,000 for that organization. So I was popping my collar and really feeling good about myself. In this case, I say all that to say, this is my sort of media commitment. I am so proud of myself. And you know, people talk a lot about self-love and I always say self-love needs to be nurtured. Yes, we love ourselves, but every time we make ourselves proud, is when the self-love gets a little easier. This is the foundation where self-love lives. When we promise ourselves we're going to drink water and we do it. We promise ourselves we're going to work out and we do it. We promise ourselves we're going to do a podcast and we do it. (laughs) Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Tanika and I can commit y'all. I love it. And I love that you have been writing hard with me for this year. Thank you so much for these momversations in the momosphere with all the things mommying and now daddying. I am beyond grateful and I love that you're here. It was a big decision. Who do I put on this one year anniversary episode? And I really thought about, is it a celebrity? Is it somebody everybody knows? And then this week, we are all watching someone that we all adored 
in the music industry, someone we all called a genius, descend into a straight damn mess, right? And I thought this mental health thing is just everything. How we see ourselves, how we identify is everything in 2022. Because you can be one thing and then your mania or your insanity or your mental health can tell you you're another. And then you can be very dangerous and damaging in that place where your mental health is telling you you are. And that is just the theme today. We have been watching on these media networks and these social media platforms, two people just descend into absolute lunacy. And so I really had to think, I have so many incredible moms, but I really wanted to spend this episode with my girlfriend, Angelina Spicer. She is a hilarious comedian who you may know from her, I don't know, a hundred million views on TikTok and uh, on Instagram and Facebook. She is a hilarious comedian who has a husband who happens to be white that she has called into the universe. His name is hashtag White Bay. (laughs) And all the hilarious, hilarious posts she puts up about hashtag White Bay is just beyond It is a beautiful way to bring all of our cultures together to align and to really see where love is. Her daughter is the exact same age as my baby girl. And so we have a lot of familiar things that we're going through. We're we're learning what third grade is like for our babies and going through all the, oh, I want to wear a half top and I want to wear my hair like this. And the cool girls want this mom. I mean, it's just... It starts so early with the girls of what's cool and who's not and who's on the in crowd and trying to copy the other. It's insanity. But let's dive in because one thing that I really admire about Angelina more than how funny and and, and accomplished that she is now is the fact that when she had her baby, accomplished and joyful and loving were not words that she related to. It was the hardest time of her life. She had severe postpartum. And, you know, as Black women specifically, we get hardship, we experience stress, and we just keep going. That's what we've learned in our culture. We just keep going. It's unbelievable what she talks about, how she ended up in a psychiatric hospital, but In retrospect, she says it was the best thing she ever did, and it served her in all the ways that she needed to get back to her baby and her husband and to be healed. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here is our 52nd episode starring my girl, the hilarious and the healed Angelina Spicer. We made it happen. We did. Look, the world is on fire. We need these moments, okay? <laughs> because no matter what the world looks like, we still have little girls that we have to pour into. We still have kids that depend on us. We still got to make dinner. Or I don't know. Are you the one that makes yes. dinner? Yes. Okay. yes. Yes. Every night. Every night. Making dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Washing pissy sheets. Yeah. Laundry. Yeah. Suits to the cleaners. Yeah. Shoe shine. Yeah. Buying shoes that don't fit. Yeah. I'm like, what is, what is happening? What is happening? Well, see, you had, you have the added part, which is husband, which is just more jobs for the mom. <laughs> it's more jobs. I mean, you get dick on the constant, but still more jobs. But more jobs. I'm, yeah. You're working for the dick. That's usually what happens. You're working for the dick. Well, we're going to start straight off. First of all, I love that you're here. Thank you so much for hanging out with us on Mama Stay, my little pod that brings moms from across the, well, the mamasphere. Because I'm a Black woman, I tend to sit down with my Black moms because we have a very similar Mm -hmm. situation going on that not only are we pouring into our kids, keeping them healthy, keeping them positive, trying to make them empathetic and loving and and kind in a really ugly world. But we also have to deal with raising black children 
And in your case, you're raising a black child with a white father, right? Mm -hmm. Or is she, do you call her mixed? Like, what is your, what's your jam? You can identify whatever way you want. First of all, it's not my identity that's to be clarified. I'm a black woman. Ava, my daughter, does have a black, just she does have a white father. (laughs) My daughter, Ava, does have a white father. As for now, she is a black girl. Now, I don't know what she will grow into identifying as. I don't know where she'll see herself in the world. And, you know, I obviously, because I'm a black woman and I gave birth to her, I want her to identify as a black girl and the world will see her that way. Let's be all the way funky. But, you know, it's her identity to sort of map out for herself as she grows and learns and becomes the woman that she'll be. But she black. I love that you answered it that way because historically we've not given people the choice. And I do think it's a choice. I think no matter which way the world will see her, it's still her damn choice. And we can't keep saying that, well, the world thinks this way. Screw the world. The world is screwed up. The world is jacked up. So I don't care how the world identifies you, me, how they identify Black people. Mm -hmm. Ava gets to decide for herself. So it is interesting, though. She is being raised by a Black mama. So I'm sure you're giving her all the Black things. And, you know, again, she will decide 18 and up, 16, 15, whatever it is. What kind of mama would you describe yourself as? How do you mother? Ooh. Oh. Oh, Tanika, Lord, you get the hard-hitting questions on today. I know that's a tough one, isn't it? It is. It's hard to I because I always feel a struggle. I there's always an internal struggle of being better than my mom, parenting differently than she did, but also similarly. And there's also this internal struggle to manage my anxiety, sometimes managing my depression and also managing my life and my dreams and my career. So I hope that I'm not trans, like putting that on her as I raise her. So I will say that I am super intentional in my mothering about Raising Ava to be confident. Yes. I notice as she's seven years old now, I'm noticing that she's questioning herself. She's questioning her looks, her body, her passions. She's questioning what her talent is, Mm -hmm. if she has one. She's questioning what she likes to do. And I want to mother and create a space where she feels confident to try all the things, to do all the things and to feel capable, to feel like, okay, I'm a little scared or, oh, this sounds interesting. Let me try that. Let me do that. That that excites me. So I hope that while I'm managing my own shit internally, that I'm pouring into those critical pieces of, of her confidence and eventually what will be her, her womanhood. That was bars right there because, because I so connect with you because our girls are both seven, you know, we're in this generation of little girls that are a little bit different than how we were. They're very, they, they started off really self-assured and they were like firecrackers and all of a sudden seven hit. And they're in school and all these little brats at school are making her insecure. And I'm like, yo, if we could just get rid of all those other kids, we'd be good. (laughs) It's all those other kids that have a lot to say about what you're, how you're existing in the world. And I have to, I come back with very specific things that how I'm going to ask you Mm -hmm. when you're seeing your daughter question herself, what do you do? What do you say? What is your plan of action? My plan of action is always ongoing. Like it extends beyond the conversation. It extends beyond the moment. 
But I would say overall, it's reassurance. I reassure her at every single step of the way, whether it's making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, reassurance, doing gymnastics, reassurance, or when she's frustrated and disappointed in herself, reassurance. I found that that worked for me and it still works for me. When my mom reassures me and tells me like, oh my gosh, if anybody can do it, Angelina, I know you can do it. I know that how critical of a part that plays with me now as an adult, as a mother myself. And I know how much I lean on that reassurance in moments of doubt. So when I find that she's questioning or worried or feeling insecure, I reassure her because I know from experience that it will go beyond this moment. Yeah. It's the pouring into, it's amazing to me. I, I learned so much in the last couple months. I was on this episode of real uh, red table talk Mm. and we were discussing a book called mother hunger, which I've got my mommy issues. We've all got mommy issues to a certain degree because they're from a generation that just parented different Mm. and it wasn't intuitive and it wasn't rooted in who we were as individuals. It was like this blanketed do as I say, not as I do don't speak. You don't know what you're talking about all of the things that really destroy someone's self-esteem. So we are very intentional today. We have to be, I mean, we don't have to be, there are people who make different decisions who are on autopilot, but if you're Mm -hmm. aware of at all about what the world is like, you are wanting to make a different decision, right? You either parent how your mom parented, if she was successful or you Mm -hmm. find a new way. So your little girl who's seven, and again, I have so much connection with you. How would you describe her as a little girl today? Mm. So we started camp maybe three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I have noticed a shift, not only in her personality, but also in her confidence in herself. And when my husband and I, I affectionately call him hashtag white bay. We love white bay. (laughs) Anyone who follows me online or will follow me whenever I refer to hashtag white bay. We are referring to my white husband. Okay. Um, but White Bay and I, when we were looking for camps this summer, we noticed that this camp in particular was real explicit in saying, like, it's for all ages. We don't separate the kids by age. And it's from, I think, K through 12th grade or something. And I was like, hmm. I was like, oh, that's not a big deal. Right. But... I didn't find it to be a big deal until like two weeks into camp. And when she started to pick up the mannerisms of some of the older kids, she's now being exposed to more mature ideas, social dynamics. But Tanika, I'll tell you, I'm here for it. Really? I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Because my daughter... In first grade, she did really well. She did really well socially, but I'm a Brooklyn girl. I'm a latchkey kid. And I want her to get some, like, grow a pair, you know? And camp has done that for her. Now, it doesn't take away from me pouring into, it doesn't take away from my work as her mom and making sure that she's confident and and still polite, and still a little girl, but she has, she's grown up in the last three weeks of camp, and I'm here for it. She doesn't let anybody talk to her any kind of way. She's never the aggressor, I don't think, I hope not, but you know, she's like, when girls stare at her too long, she's like, okay, right, and I'm like, that's right, come on now. I mean, maybe because I'm, you know, I'm from Brooklyn. I'm always ready to go. But she's not that. She's a Burbank kid, okay? Right. (laughs) Not BK, Burbank. That BK, okay? But Tanika, she has grown up and I'm here for it. You know, I'm, I'm here for the exposure to all the things. So she's a little more sassy, but not to me, not to her dad. She's just, she's a, and she's much more confident. She's doing improv at camp. She's doing singing. She's doing dancing. 
making new friends, older friends, younger friends. She's just way more, I think, prepared. I'm here. I love that. I, I, at first I was cringing like, oh, I'm so nervous about my daughter. Cause my daughter does have friends a little older, two years older. And even two years Major. has been like, oh God, teaching her about TikTok and about wanting to pull her shirt up and show her belly, like all these things that I'm like not ready for. I am literally only ready for the moment that I am in right now. And I'm freaked out about what's ahead. Like I have friends on text chains talking about, yeah, my daughter's 10. She just started her period. What? They are babies. I am not ready. Yes. And so like everything is hard, but you know, that's what mommying is. Every time we feel like we've accomplished one part of it, something else is ready to come through the door and slap you in the face. And you're like, I'm dead. I'm dead. dead. Right. A hundred percent. But you know what, Tanika, to your point, it's like the thing about the belly is a, is, is a real, I'm like, she's like, mommy, she has on a crop top. First of all, she was saying crock top. And I was like, no, ma'am, it's not a pot. It's not a crock pot. It is a crop top. She is making stew with that top. Yeah. So she's like, you know, when can I wear one? I was like, well, when you're in college. Then she's like, well, I'm going to tie my shirt up. You can't see my belly. Okay, mommy, you can't see my belly. It's just she's really into her appearance now. Yeah. What is Nyla watching on on TV or on the iPad? Such a great question. I think I want to do a whole series on what the kids watch because I think that makes such a difference. Yeah. Uh, we, I am very adamant about her having reflection in everything she watches, right? I've just always been that way. But she loves Proud Family, which I think is a little sassy. But she likes it. And I think that's adding to her sassiness. You know, they, they emulate. Um, she loves Zendaya. Anything Zendaya. We love, was she a secret agent? I can't remember what it's called now. Mm-hmm. And she loves the Shake It Up, which of course I'm a dancer. So I love Shake It Up. And when she was younger, she loved watching educational shows with like hip hop to it. Okay. So we're always pretty clear about that. Anytime she wants to watch anything a little too old, we pull her back, but it's there, especially when she has a Netflix account. What do you do? And her dad's way of, you know, I'm co-parent with her father. Her dad's way of parenting is hand her the iPad in his home and let her go for it. And so. Kids exploring the web is is a dangerous thing to do. Yeah, especially when when you're not monitoring or listening. You know, like I'm I'm active. I think my husband is. We try to be. I'm, I'm not gonna say we're perfect. We, we really try. try. You know, to listen. I even if I'm not in the same room as she's in the dining room and I'm in the kitchen cooking, I'm listening to what they're saying. I'm listening to what they're doing and how they're treating each other in the videos, you know? Our favorite, absolute favorite, favorite, favorite show in this house is That Girl Lele. And shout out to my friend David Arnold, who created the show. And we love Lele in this house. And I think it's because Sadie relies on Lele for confidence. And my daughter sees Lele as an aspirational kind of character. I love so that. So now she puts the two buns in her hair like Lele. She wants the sparkly backpacks. Let's mm-hmm. back up a little bit because you already said uh, you wanted to parent differently than your mom. So lay the groundwork for us. From whence you came, Angelina was raised by what kind of a mother? Mm. A teen mother. Let's start there. My mom got pregnant at 15. She had me at 16. My mom went to night school and day school to make sure that she graduated on time. She graduated three months after I was born. She literally went to class, back to class, holding her placenta like, okay. Wow. <laughs> yes. That's and, look, I, I, it's incredible. I tear up every time I think about you know, we, all of our moms have a story. My story is on the more extreme spectrum, but 
I know that as we grow older as women and, you know, deeper into our motherhood journey, we have a deeper level of respect for our mothers because we realize how hard it was for them. Yeah. I know from whence my blessings come. I know that how hard my mom worked. Granted, I'm not in the same financial situation, marital situation as my mom, but I want Ava to know that I too worked and earned my place in the world. Yes. That was my takeaway from my mom. She earned every accolade, every status, every notch under her belt, every rung in the ladder. She earned that shit. Mm. And that's how my mom raised me, you know, by, by grit, grit and hustle and, you know, braiding my hair for gr- on the way to Girl Scouts and then on her way to the library thereafter so that she could study for her exam on Saturday and then pick me up like it was a juggle. And again, I was a latchkey kid, but my mom, I, I took care of her. You know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and now that I think about it, my mom went back to grad school to get her MBA when I was eight or nine. Mm-hmm. And you, I saw her pulling all-nighters and I would do the laundry so that that was one less thing that she had to worry about. And I would cook for her after I got home from school by myself so that when she got home, she didn't have to worry about you know, making dinner for me or for herself. There was something there for her, but we were a team. We were always a team. We will always be one. And that's how my mom raised me. I hope, I hope I'm doing as great of a job as she did. I mean, that's just unbelievable because 15 year olds, in my opinion, are still children. Obviously they're very much children. So did you have a village? Like was your grandmother there, your grandparents, aunties, uncles, cousins, was there part of a village that helped raise you as well? My mom's mother is deceased. She died when my mom was uh, 10 years old. So my, and my mother's dad was not in her life. Um, (laughs) So she's a G for real, real, for real. So she had to rely on like lame ass support. (laughs) You know, she got it, but it wasn't ideal. It wasn't, you know, always my dad. It was a lot of times his mother, my grandma, but it was half-assed. It wasn't always, you know, it it wasn't conscious parenting, like what we are striving to do. Yeah. You know, it wasn't plugged in parenting. It was, it was literally just somebody there to make sure I didn't die. Right. (laughs) Which is, which is valuable. Hey, listen, especially when you are on your journey to greatness. Yes. You know, your child is not going to die. You are able to to plant seeds so that to better your future, to better things for your child. Okay. It's what you got to do right now. So that's how I was raised, Tanika. You know, I, I did have a village. I had a lot of cousins, a lot of aunts, a lot of uncles, but it was not the ideal sense of childcare. It's not what I would like to rely on for Ava, but I Ooh. made it by the grace of God. We made it. I mean, by the grace, it's, it's absolutely something to, it's aspiring. Like I'm, I'm losing my mind parenting one child as a single woman. I can't even imagine I'm exhausted. So the fact that your mom still went to school, although she was a lot younger than me (laughs) to go to school and still want to accomplish things is it's unreal because what people, what people don't understand is that when you're a mother, it's not like. You just make them food and let them go on their way. It is a constant job, constant, right? Mm -hmm. And to then have the bandwidth to do anything else outside of that is a whole other thing that I'm like, wow, it's a lot. And Mm -hmm. it's hard. So I'm bowing down to your mama. I am too. You know, it's, it's something when you're running from poverty, that's a different kind of hustle. That was my mom's race. And I wonder what mine is. Mm. Discovering what mine is. What does White Bay say about the world right now? Oh, child. Well, hashtag White Bay is a public defender. So his lens into the world is always (laughs) crystal clear because he sees he sees the worst of the worst. 
and he's at trial right now. So he's kind of buried under his workload, but he's afraid. We both are for Ava and the world she's going to grow up in. And for all of the birthing people in the world who are getting their rights stripped away and won't have access to po- to postpartum care or postpartum checkups and yeah, it's just he's he's just as troubled and as, as like with the racial reckoning and that I mean we protested last year the three of us me Ava and hashtag White Bay <laughs> protested and he's a community organizer he worked with the ACLU in college he organized death penalty you know anti death penalty rallies and all throughout college and stuff so I mean he's always seen the world <laughs> for how it is yeah. But it's different when he's raising a young black girl in it. And yeah. he, feels, he feels every part of it. No doubt. I've also been so inspired by you talking about tough things. We saw each other at a mom event a couple of years ago, and you have been so absolutely transparent about your postpartum and how hard it was in the beginning of your mommy journey. How much you love her now is such a beautiful result of the work you did when you were in the very, very dark place. I think I had postpartum. I don't even know if it exists at the beginning of the pandy. Like my child was six and I'm like, I've never been this dark. Like get this child away from me. Please explain to me how that whole thing was discovered by you. What was the first thing you noticed? Because I know society tells us the most beautiful thing in the world, but women experience it in a variety of ways. There is no one size fit all when it comes to what it feels like to have a human come out of your vagina and now they're your job for the rest of your life. Oh, that was a bar. They are your job for the rest of your life. Oh my gosh. It was almost immediate, Tanika. Really? Yes, it was immediate. There's a picture of me when the doctors placed Ava on my chest. And I look horrified. I look, I don't look happy. I don't look relaxed. I don't look beautiful. I looked horrified. I looked like I saw someone raised from the dead in a casket at a funeral. Very dark. Very, very, very dark. But it was how I felt. 100% 100% unraw, unfiltered, the raw fear of God in my soul. Now, can I ask you this real quick? It's coming to me. Okay. It says fear. It's a scary thing, right? Hell yeah. You got to keep this thing alive. They're so tiny. Like what the fuck? Do you think any of that was from, I mean, how do we know what the impetus of this is? Like you can't predict it either hits you or it doesn't. So that first day, you obviously couldn't put words to it because everybody's so happy and excited. You know, there's nothing but joy. The hospital's not the greatest, sexiest place, but your mom wants to come in. Your friends want to come in. At what point did you feel brave enough to go, something's not right? You know, I have the hashtag white bay, so I have a therapist. They come together in a package. You walk down the aisle <laughs> with a white man, you get a therapist and a jar of mayonnaise. That's just what happens, right? So I had a therapist. (laughs) I've had a therapist forever. And since we pretty much have been married, I had a therapist. And we had trust. We had the relationship. She's an older white woman. She's in her 70s. She's Italian. And she is dope. She's amazing. She, too, had had an incredible mommy journey. She gave birth to five kids. Left Left her husband when the fifth was born left a mansion in uh, Maryland, What? started a real estate career, then became a nurse, then at 50, went and got her PhD to become a therapist. Okay, right. What? That's my fucking therapist, Dr. Olson. She's the shit. So because I guess she reminds me a lot of my mom. <laughs> yes. Running from poverty. Yeah. I really respect trust and love her. But I had been seeing her since I gave birth and she was a part of my like team, you know, was my mom, 
hashtag white bay and my therapist. I had the three of them, which wasn't enough, but I was being open with my therapist every week about how I was feeling. I felt like I was drowning, but I couldn't say it. I didn't have the words to say like, damn, this is fucking hard. But it was her who diagnosed me actually yeah, at eight months postpartum. So I had been trying everything. I've been going faithfully to therapy. I was even bringing Ava with me. I bring my breast pump with me. I would pump in, in the meeting, in my therapy sessions. Dr. Olson would hold Ava. She would change poopy diapers in the therapy session. I would bring the pack and play and all the things. I was committed to trying to get better, but I wasn't. And it was helpful. Don't get me wrong. It was very, very helpful, but I wasn't climbing over that next tier of like well-being and of feeling like I could manage. And at eight months postpartum is when Dr. Olson told me flat out, you have postpartum depression and I'm going to recommend that you check into a psychiatric hospital for help. Was that relief or was that fear? It was relief, girl. I didn't know from the moment I gave birth to Ava, I didn't know that there was any relief. I, I just thought like you just, you muscle. Again, going back to my mom, mm-hmm. I saw her just muscle through. She's 16 with a newborn right. and she's in high school. Right. With no mother. She had postpartum depression. She said, I don't remember having postpartum. I just cried a lot. I'm like, mommy, that is a symptom, honey. That is a symptom. Absolutely. So yeah, so I, I was diagnosed by a professional, thank God, not by my OBGYN who should have diagnosed me, not by a pediatrician who saw me every couple of weeks, you know, to give my baby some shots and weigh her and check her heads, her head size and all the things. No, my, ther- my private therapist who I was paying out of pocket mm-hmm. diagnosed me. There is no real care about our mental health. There just isn't. Which is why I love this wave, this sort of like revolutionary wave of moms who are like, no, we need to be okay too. Too. I think the pandemic, to your point, Tanika, the pandemic really helped us all turn a corner Mm -hmm. on acknowledging our own well-being, even as parents, you know. And and to your point, like I felt a resurgence. of my depression during the pandemic, like you, Tanika, I felt like I was triggered exactly by the pandemic. I was like, there's, I can't go anywhere. I'm literally stuck in the house with this, with my child and my husband. We can't do anything. I'm afraid that if we go out, we'll get sick. Mm-hmm. Somebody will cough on us. We're going to be in the hospital. We might die. That's, those are all triggering things of postpartum depression. The intrusive thoughts of fantasizing about the worst possible thing that could happen. Oh my God, a bear is going to come in the window and claw my baby and then take the iPad and then nobody can watch iPad for the rest. And then we all bleeding, but we can't go to the hospital because we don't get COVID in the hospital. Like, girl, too much. It's way too much. So yes. I don't know if I know what postpartum is outside of dark feelings. Yeah. Like, is it clinical? Is it psychological? Is it medical? Like what? What is it? What is it? Yeah. Outside of it just being, oh my God, I got to do this thing. I don't know anything about. Like, it's scary to do new things. Yeah. But that's not all it is though, right? No. Postpartum depression is, this is a comedian's version. Not a, give it to me. PhD school or medical school or PsyD school, honey. I went to undergrad. Okay. Um, But postpartum depression is a clinical medical condition that one in five women experience. It is the number one complication of childbirth. And three to five Black women experience postpartum depression. Three in five Black women. It is an overall feeling of emotion, of like, of despair. That's it. An overall feeling of despair. The baby blues, however, is like the diet version, the crystal light version. (laughs) I get that. Of like, of weepiness, of sadness, but it goes away on its own. And it usually lasts about two weeks, right? 
So if women are experiencing these depressive thoughts or feelings for longer than two weeks, it's likely postpartum depression. Then there's postpartum anxiety, which is actually more common than postpartum depression. Postpartum anxiety is when, you know, you, where those intrusive thoughts come in. And this is why I do this work in a funny way. Usually I'm a lot more funny. So if you come to my show, I'm a lot more funny, but I'm talking to the, the, the millennial Oprah here. So I got to, you know, be a little more astute in my yes. All right. So yeah, but postpartum anxiety is actually more common and much less diagnosed than postpartum depression. Well, let's be really real. Black women probably suffer a lot of things that they never get the help for, right? Yeah. Because really, truly, your mom just doing what she had to do at 15 is what all of our ancestors have done. Not only that, our ancestors are picking cotton, pop the baby out in the field and go right back to picking cotton. So that is in our genes, that is in our cells, that is all the things that we know how to do. So yes, we suffer a lot that we never get help for. So please enlighten this Mama Stay audience. When you are having those moments, when you feel it's more than just baby blues, what is the best thing that you can do? Maybe for free, give me the like cheap, like free 99 yeah. version and then the penthouse version. Okay, free 99 is FaceTime. I scheduled FaceTime. I told my family privately when I got out of the psychiatric hospital, I told them privately what happened, that I was hospitalized for postpartum depression. And I told them explicitly, don't call me. But if I call you or FaceTime you, please do your best to pick up the phone because I need you. Mm -hmm. That's the free 99 version. If you are feeling like you are not well, and again, this is from a comedian. This is not a medical professional. Somebody else might tell you, call 911. You tell me the free 99 version. I'm going to say, pick up the phone, FaceTime your best friend. FaceTime your mother, FaceTime someone who's going to be there with you. And it doesn't have to be an intense FaceTime where every where you're talking the whole time. It could just mean you want company. Yeah, just be I with me. Lonely. Yes. You be here with me and the baby. Mm-hmm. Right? Then the other option is Facebook groups, Facebook community. Mm-hmm. Now, we all have different opinions about Facebook community groups. I started one, the Postpartum Revolution where moms ask questions, where moms can seek resources. And if you just need to vent, right? That's a free 99 space also. Folks like me, folks like Tanika, you can DM us. I have FaceTimed and DMed strangers. I do it all the time, actually. And I even pulled up to a woman in Kentucky's house. I was like, you are not well, girl. I'm coming to your house. And yes, I did. But that's another story. Yes. Beautiful. You're paying it forward. Yes. Yes, Tanika. I'm like, if you are crying to your followers on TikTok, you need help now. Now, a step up from that would be support groups, group therapy. There are free ones that are offered through Medicaid, Medi-Cal, and I have resources for those, uh, for like Cedar sinai has one local hospitals all over the country. I partner with a lot of them. They have them. And also private therapy. Sometimes therapists don't take insurance, especially those who specialize in perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, which is postpartum depression, anxiety, psychosis, et cetera. They don't take private insurance. So you got to have a little coin for that. And I, you know, the penthouse version to me was the psychiatric ward. Did, were, was there any shame to that? Because that sounds really scary. It does. It does sound scary when you're healthy. When you're healthy, it sounds scary. When you're sick, it sounds like relief. It sounds like a godsend. I was not afraid. I was running in there. White Bay pulled up to the psych ward. I was like, bye, see you later, gotta go. I was running in that thing. Do you hear me? I was like, you ain't gotta worry about me. Uh-uh. <laughs> My people are here. Yes. You know, but it's not the ideal place. There, I was the only mom in the psych ward. I was the only Black woman in the psych ward. I was the only one clearly suffering from postpartum depression. So it's not an ideal place, but if you want to sleep, be by yourself, be away from your kid, and have Blue Cross Blue Shield pay for it, highly recommend. 
How long were you in there for? I was there for 10 days. So good. That's a good vacay. Yeah, girl. Ooh, it was where I didn't have to cook, clean, nothing. I could pump every day. All my needs were met. I was in therapy all day, every day. Nice. It was like a vacation, really. Any meds accompany that? Yeah, yeah. I I was put on Zoloft, which I was happy to take because I wanted to feel better. Now, are you still, is it something you have to do all the time? No. Or are you, no. No, you don't. It, there's a weaning process that you are advised through and, and sort of uh, a medical professional advises you through the weaning process of like tampering down yeah. so that you don't have a, like a full on crash of emotions. But yeah, it's, it's not forever. It's an intervention that even if I had to take, still take them today, I would still do it. Now you're self-assured, you know, yourself, I think anybody that's a performer, they epically know themselves. There's no secrets to their, their personalities, their, their whole system. Right. Mm -hmm. So for you, you're somebody that's bold enough to be able to do this. There are so many people who are just so filled with shame for not feeling the way they're supposed to feel for not being joyful. I had a girlfriend who was having a tough time that I referred you, I referred her to you. I don't even know if you guys connected. We did. Absolutely. We connected. Not only did we connect, we FaceTimed many times and she texted me many times. I told her, I said, I am here for you because my intrusive thoughts would kick in at like 3am when I would wake up to feed Ava. And I remember sitting in the corner of the room in the glider it's not a rocking chair. My mama's out there. This is mama's day. Y'all yeah, know it's the glider, glider that glides. It's good too. I miss that. It, right? So you feel like you floating, right? But when I was in that glider at three in the morning, those intrusive thoughts would kick in and it'd be like, oh my gosh, well, what if? This is like a scenario. What if? I'm like, I'm thirsty. I need water. I'm nursing. But what if I take Ava down the stairs and we both slip and I fall yeah. And she hits her head and we're both bleeding and my husband's asleep. And, right. It's just like, or I would have all kinds of crazy, intrusive, scary thoughts that I won't repeat here, but will be in my documentary film. I can't um, wait for it. I can't either, girl. <laughs> so I just, so I know what that's like. And I told your girlfriend who's in New York, who's three hours ahead. I said, it does not matter. It does not matter the time of day. When you need someone, I am here for you. And you text me. And that's another free 99 way of support. That's another free 99. Be available to your mom friends who just had a baby. Be available around the clock. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that you're creating this community because it's important, especially in a time in the world where there's a war on women. We need each other more than ever. We need to lean on each other and have what our ancestors did that sort of tribal community around the fireplace Mm -hmm. to really talk our shit out. Keep doing the damn thing. Thank you, Tamika. I'll talk to you later, girl. Much love, Angelina. Thank you. Of course. (laughs) All right, bye. Thanks for hanging out, Mama. I know how little time we have in our day to honor ourselves, and I'm just thrilled to be a part of it make sure you click like, rate, and subscribe. I'd love to hear what you think about today's show and what you want to hear going forward. Remember, mommying is a gift and you're doing a kick-ass job. So, woosah and mama stay. Hold up. 